to Totalis Rankium. This week, Round 3 Successes Ultimus. Welcome to Roman Emperor's Totalus Rankium. I am Jamie. And I am Rob, ranking all of the emperors, what we have done, what already. And this is round three of the rounds, but also Successus Ultimus. That's what we're going to look into first. Yeah. So here we are, Jamie. Round three. How's it gone so far? You and you, you feel like we've made good decisions? Um, yeah, I, I think we've made tricky decisions, especially in the last round, because that was just brutal for some of them. And mildly unfair, oh, but... Eh. Poor, poor Manuel. He did not deserve to go out so early. No, he was so cool. He would have come first in round one. But hey, that's a round of death for you. I, I'd say our listeners have mostly agreed with us so far. Good. There was some chatter. That's the uh, official term when people are talking about us online. Yeah. Yeah, there was some chatter about Manuel not going through. But, uh, well, yeah. that's understandable. But I think consensus was the Justinians definitely should have gone through. Yeah. So... Yeah, well, it was tough. But, hey, round three this time. Whole new group of them. Mm. We're going to find out who's going to go through round three. But before that, of course, we have a look at the round of the week. And this time it is Successus Ultimus. And as ever, it's Dynasties first. I wonder what the most successful dynasty of the Eastern Romans were. Justinian. You think Justinian dynasty? I, I assume so. I don't know. Okay, right. So you're saying Justinian. Well, let's find out. First of all, we've got, obviously, as ever, our Leonids at the start. They scored an average of 10, a nice round 10. Well, That's not bad. I like That's a good exactly round exactly halfway. Well. Yeah, good. Uh, the Justinians. Yeah, yeah, come on. 10. Ah, oh, damn it. Exactly the same. Oh. At this point working out, I thought maybe that's it. Maybe all dynasties in the Eastern Roman Empire are all tens. Maybe they are. But no, because the Heraclians only scored a 7.8. Losers. Oh, well, not as much as the 20-year anarchy. 1.6, Jamie. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's really bad. I feel like even I could score higher than that. Yeah, it's uh, it's no Justinian two. He's counted as Heraclian, and it's called Twenty Year Anarchy for a reason. Mm. Uh, things things went very bad. Uh, the Isaurians uh, five. The Nicephorans, and this is where I need to mention something. I've 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 made a mistake, Jamie. The last two rounds, I made a mistake, and I only noticed when putting this round together. Ooh. I had put, and I'll be honest, it was laziness on my part. <laughs> Instead of going through my notes and saying exactly what we were saying about each emperor, yeah. I pulled up the list of emperors on Wikipedia to just put <laughs> what dynasty everyone was in. Oh dear. And someone putting the uh, dynasty page together on Wikipedia put Leo V in with the Nicephorans. Oh yeah, that was me. Oh, is that you? I knew these in Wikipedia oh. and I thought yeah, I'd sabotage yeah. you slightly. Now, in my head, the Nicephoron dynasty is Nicephorus 1, Starachius and Michael 1. It's just like, it's just an awful, awful dynasty. Mm. Then Leo 5 comes along, Leo the Armenian, and he's, he's pretty good. And then it goes straight into the Amorian dynasty. Yeah. And uh, that was kind of merged. So in my head, the uh, Amorian dynasty has Leo in it. But on Wikipedia, they've put Leo in with the Nicephorans. Fools. So, fools. Well, I've, I've changed it. I went back and checked the previous two rounds. And yes, it made a technical difference in the scores, but not so much it changed anything. So 
uh, yeah, nothing's moved. We don't need to worry about that. Uh, but this one, from going forward, just know the Nikephron dynasty is only three emperors, Nikephorus, Starachius, and Michael one. And Leo V now gets lumped in with the Amorians. I shall bear that in mind. It doesn't make a huge difference at all to the successor's Ultimus scores either. Oh, good. But you'll see why I double-checked this. Because the Nikephorans score an average of 3.33. Mm. As bad as I predicted they'd be. Yeah. The Armenian slash Amorian dynasty, which mm. I'll now call it instead of just the Amorian dynasty, 11, Jamie. What? 11. No, that's yes. that's wrong. There's something gone wrong there. That is Leo V, that is Michael II, Theophilus, Theodora, and Michael III. Oh, they were pretty good, I guess. Well, you say that, but if we check their, um, their Genesisars, uh, Leo V gets a Genesisar, and uh, so does Theophilus, uh, but that's it. Oh. So only two of them get Genesisar, and uh, one of those has only just got put back into it. So we're not covering many of those in the rounds. It's not a, a dynasty that really stands out to me, but there they are on 11... For successor Ultimus, wow. beating the Leonids and the Justinians. Anyway, we continue. Macedonians. Remember, a whole 20 of them. So it's always uh, interesting. 7.5 the Macedonians got. Mm. The Ducas. Oh, the Ducas. The poor Ducas. They only get 2.6. Oh, that is embarrassing. That's painful. It's not, it's not good. No. It's really not good. Uh, the Comnenus, the ever-impressive Comnenus. We keep coming back to them and going, aren't they doing well? And they did do well, but just not quite good enough. Mm. 9.4. Mm. Uh, the Angelus. Uh, I had to double-check this one a couple of times. 24.7, something ridiculous like that. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to double-check it again. <laughs> no, I checked it twice when I put my notes together. And I'm, I'm looking at my spreadsheet, Jamie, and, I mean, it's right. I know it's right. I've checked it three times. Did we add all the numbers correctly? Because that has been a major fault in our <laughs> scoring. Oh, no, no. You'll be pleased to know that all these scores don't come from us. They come from our listeners okay. on uh, our Discord. They compiled their own spreadsheet of all the scores which takes into account all the times where we, the next episode, went, oops, we got that wrong. <laughs> so the, these are accurate. I don't trust us, I trust them. Um, uh, 0.8. It's almost like they shouldn't have even been there. 0.8. Ouch. Now, I mean, you can kind of see it because the end of the, the Angelos dynasty is the fall of Constantinople, and then you've got the exiled yeah. emperors. Uh, you have the awful, awful Alexios IV who sells off the emperor. In, there. in fact, the whole dynasty is Isaac II, Alexios III, Alexios IV, Isaac II, and Alexios V. How many of those do you remember? Um, none. Yeah, the only one to get Jenny Caesar from the Alexios dynasty is Alexios IV, and he only got it for being so bloody awful. Excellent. I definitely think we might have a contender for the worst dynasty. Brilliant. Now we're looking at it, yeah. Anyway, 0 0.8 is their score. Then, all of a sudden, the, the Lascaris dynasty, the exiled emperors, an impressive 9.5. That's good, they worked hard for that. Yeah. Oh, I, they did, they got the empire back. Mm. Very successful. And then we've got our final dynasty, the one that lost everything. Surely they did awful. Um, they didn't do great. Uh, <laughs> they did better than the Angelos dynasty, 3.4. Ooh. So they did better than the Nikephrons in the 20-year anarchy as yeah. well. Uh, so, the exiled emperors, some would argue they're not even Roman emperors, actually come in fourth place yeah. in our dynasty, the uh, the Lascaris dynasty. Uh, and then in joint second place is the Leonid and the Justinian dynasty. So, 
Not a bad prediction from you there. They came second. Mm. Our most successful dynasty, interestingly, uh, apparently was the Armenian slash Amorian dynasty. Interesting. So, uh, so there you go. Mm. Just kind of read, ran a, a stable, unflashy ship, apparently. Not many Genesis ours, but they got the job done. Cool. Maybe, maybe that's what you want. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's our dynasties. But what about the actual emperors themselves? Let's go to the worst emperors in terms of success. Many people would argue this is the list that compiles the the like the top ten rankings usually. Mm. Who was the most successful? Who was the worst? Yeah. Well, twenty six emperors got nothing at all. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's not good. Uh, you you'd want more than roughly a third of your emperors getting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You almost say we wasted really our bad. time for the past six years. It's, it's really bad, isn't it? Uh, but like last time, I've put them in order of length of rule. Uh, so if you if, if you get zero after ruling longer, it's even worse, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. So in fifth place was Alexios three. In fourth place was Constantine ten. In third place was Focus. In second place was Michael nine. Uh, and I'm guessing that uh, all of these so far are emperors that you've kind of forgotten about. I remember Constantine ten. Yeah, yeah, he's the he's the one who stands out the most from that bunch. Yeah. Uh, fo- focus, to be fair, just because he was a bit crazy. Yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, John five, however, apparently, according to us, was our least successful emperor. Now he's from the Paleologos dynasty. We covered him relatively recently. He did the whole civil war thing with John six for ages. Oh, yeah, 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 and we're saying he was the least successful. Uh, so there you go. Officially, least successful emperor, John V. But what about our most successful emperor? Uh, well, we don't have much to sort out this week, because uh, usually we have to sort out the ties and stuff. We've only got one small tie, uh, which I'll come to when we get to it. So okay. in fifth place, our fifth most successful emperor was John III, emperor in exile. He comes in fifth. He did a damn good job at making sure the empire didn't die when Constantinople was lost. Good. Next one is where we have to make a decision because uh, it, with 17 points apiece, we get Basil I and Anastasius. Oh. So I'll give you a quick recap and then you can decide just gut feeling who you okay. think was most successful. Uh, Basil I, in many ways, was the second Justinian. He expanded the empire. He redid the outdated law codes. He built the Nia, remember the new Hagia yeah. Sophia, the new cathedral that was going to be really important, and then everyone kind of forgot about it. Uh, but it was certainly a cultural golden age during Basil I. He helped pave a way for the Bulgars to become Eastern Christian, which did the Empire good. Generally, very good, very impressive. He scored 17 points. Hmm. But so did Anastasius, who's surprisingly competent. Uh, he calmed a struggling city down. He helped fix the economy. He put down revolts. He paved way to the Justinian dynasty. Justinian the Great would not have been able to do what he did without Anastasius's uh, financial gains. So, yeah, the two of them did a good job. Uh, I'll be honest, I, I think they deserve uh, equal points. I'm struggling to say which one's better. I, but... I think just on that, I'd go for Basil being slightly higher because he expanded the empire. Fair enough. I like it. Let's go for Basil. So that is John three in fifth place, Anastasius in fourth, Basil one in third. Then we get in second place. Our most successful emperor was Justinian the Great. Mm. 
obviously he has to come high. That's, uh, <laughs> I mean, the last two emperors I've just mentioned were both uh, compared to him, or at least uh, he was mentioned whilst wow. talking about him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He rebuilt the empire. It was a golden age of culture. The Hagia Sophia was built. Uh, he didn't get four marks because of his awful treatment with Italy, mm. and he killed 30,000 of his own people, but he was still bloody successful. That was more of an oopsie, though, wasn't it? It was a little bit more of an oopsie, yeah. Yeah, he scored 18... Many people would always say he is the most successful Eastern Roman emperor, and I struggle to argue with that. Yeah. Even to this day, because I still see who our first uh, place is, and I, every time I see it, I always think, is he? Yeah. And then I look into it, and I can't see where we were wrong. Our top most successful emperor is Basil II. Mm. Now, Basil II certainly needs to be up there. But does he deserve to be higher than Justinian? According to us, he does. Wow. He expanded the empire greatly. He secured the capital and the western frontier. Laws were brought in to make people's lives a lot easier. The powerful were forced to pay their fair share for the first time in a very long time. He did all of this, but unlike Justinian, he gained money whilst doing it rather than burning through the finances. Hmm. So yeah. it was less flashy than Justinian because you can colour less on the map afterwards. But he set out to do something and he achieved every thing he set out to do. Good at the admin. We scored him, we scored him 19. Well, not just the admin, he grew the empire, just not, not as much. Everything was smaller in his age than Justinian's age. So he scores one more. <laughs> just, than, he uh, just had a bigger map. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, he scores one more than Justinian on 19. So he is, we don't need to debate it. Even though in my head I do, Basil II is our most successful emperor. Interesting. So there we go. So, well done to Basil II, our most successful emperor. Mm. Oh dear, oh dear to John V, our least successful emperor. <laughs> you That's his official. Yeah. Put it in the can. We now know that for a fact. But here we are. This is it. The main event. Are you ready, James? I'm strapped in, buckled my legs together, and we're ready to go. Fantastic. Round three. Round one was very close, with a bunch of, if you were feeling a little bit mean, mediocre emperors. <laughs> Four. For the rounds, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they got through. Round two was a round of death near the top. You had three very good emperors and one with some very interesting things going on. Yeah. Round three, however, is all over the place. <laughs> yeah, it's a round of extremes. We have our top scorer of season two in here. And we also have our lowest Genesis Zar scorer in this round as well. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, we also get two different pairs of emperors that are very closely linked, as in they ruled directly one after another. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Which is interesting. Mm. So it's interesting round, round three, because we have Basil II from the Macedonian dynasty. Basil II scored a mightily impressive 58.63 Still can't believe that score, mm. making him not just the highest scorer in season two, but the highest scorer of all emperors. Wow. Yes. Well, he's he going is, through. I, well, I can't see how he's not going <laughs> yeah, through. Yeah. Let's face it. Round three is going to be who gets second place. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm not going to call it right now, but I, I think something's gone very wrong if Basil two is not going through. Uh, we also have Leo III from the Isaurian dynasty. He scored a reasonable 36.90, putting him in 14th place. Not bad. No, that's all right. <laughs> then we've got Theodosius III from the 20-year anarchy. 
Theodosius III scored an impressive score of 2.75. <laughs> Ranking him 78th. And he is our lowest scoring Jeanne César winner. Oh, that's going to be fun. And we're not comparing it with season one, so I didn't check. But I'm fairly sure our lowest scoring Jeanne César winner across both seasons. Brilliant. Uh, I would have to double check that, but I think that's true. Uh, after that, we have the two emperors in exile. Constantinople has fallen, and we have Theodore to take the reins. He scored 31 points, dead on, a nice round score, putting him 29th, which is quite low down, but he's still got Gene Caesar, and we'll discuss why. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we have his uh, his son-in-law, John III, who took over the reins just after him, uh, with a more impressive 37.50, putting him 12th overall so as you can see we're a bit more all over the map here we've got our highest scorer we've got our lowest scorer and we've got a couple of all right scorers and uh, theodore actually didn't score that well for genesis our winner but we felt he was worthy to be here okay well let's start with number one shall we and let's face it probably number one in this round it's basil two basil two two, nine seven six to ten twenty five Yes, that's 976 to 1025. That span of dates is definitely one of the reasons why he is scoring so highly. Yeah. Uh, oh, what a rain. Uh, yeah, we start with our winner of season two when it comes to points, and surely the one to beat in this round. Basil II was born into the purple, and when he was around five years old, his father, the emperor, died. Nikephros and John, two friends and generals, took over. Both Nikephros and John got Gene Caesar. John narrowly avoided going through in round one. That's a shame. Yeah. Yeah, we've already covered him. Nikephros is in round five. Mm. This makes it the only time in all of Roman history that we got three Gene Caesar winners in a row, apart from the Komnenos grandfather to grandson. Yeah. Alexios one, John two, and Manuel one. So this was a good period of emperors here. Uh, Anyway, sidetracked there. Uh, We're talking about Basil. So Basil's about 11 years old when uh, his stepfather, the new emperor, Nikephros, killed John I and came into power. Editing Rob here. Quick note, obviously I got that the wrong way around. It was obviously John who killed Nikephros. Uh, Sorry about that. And back to the episode. If you remember, that's the scene where he's sat on the bed and he's hitting him. Oh, Oh, that's all horrible. Yeah, 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 all all that's going on, yeah. Yeah, if you remember, John had been getting to know Nikephros' wife. But Nikephros' wife was also Basil II's mother. Oh, yeah. That rings a bell now. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of lots of legitimacy being uh, claimed yeah. by marrying the empress, and yeah. Uh, so it's a new stepdaddy, essentially. <laughs> Stepdaddy's dead, there's a new stepdaddy. He's going to look after you now. But as soon as John uh, came into power, he just uh, nunned Basil II's mum. It seemed money. like it was all a ruse. Yeah. All a ruse just to get into power. Uh, instead, John married one of Basil's uh, aunties, um, so life seemed precarious because as soon as they had a boy, Basil II would be out on his ear oh, yeah. if, if he was lucky. But but they didn't have a boy. And then when he was around 18 years old, John suddenly dies. Way. Yeah. Uh, due to the uh, the good rules of Nikephros and John, the two of them had done very well. Uh, the Empire was in many ways the strongest it had been doing mm. really well. But... There were problems. There were cracks. There was a general out there who everyone loved. 
and probably wanted to coup. Basil II is too young, surely. He's only 18. Mm. And the administration of the Empire had been ruled by the Lord Chamberlain for the last couple of decades. Now, Kefros and John were good generals, but the Lord Chamberlain had been doing the admin, basically. Yeah. Well, the Lord Chamberlain wasn't going to give up power. So you got this kid, Basil II, but is he strong enough to take over the reins? To begin with, this uh, Lord Chamberlain, Lecepinus, ran things while Basil learnt the ropes. Uh, and then when the general, the popular general, his name was Sclerus, remember, declared yeah. himself emperor, it was Lecepinus who took charge. He called out the nephew of Nikephros, the dead Nikephros, mm. this was nephew Focus, to fight against Clarus. Uh, so you've got two powerful uh, generals fighting each other, yeah. you've got Lord Chamberlain in charge, and then you've got Basil II in the sights. Then we get some fun stories about this war, uh, which I'm not going to recount now, even though they're really good, because Basil is mostly at home learning the ropes. Uh, And then eventually, a couple of years later, Basil suddenly, in a move that surprised everyone, arrested the Lord Chamberlain, Lecepinos. He was running the place, and Basil suddenly had him arrested. And he removed Lecepinos' power base by removing the unpopular laws that the Lord Chamberlain had put in place. Like, suddenly from nowhere, this sort of boy emperor who was just in the background goes, ha-ha, I'm here. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, Basil is now in charge properly. Then the whole thing was with the Bulgars start. Remember, Basil II is called the Bulgar Slayer. Yeah. And everything with the Bulgars is kind of his thing. Now, you might remember from us talking about John I recently, we were impressed with him defeating the Rus who were occupying the Bulgar land. Uh, Now, this brought the Bulgars into the empire, but not in a good way. The Bulgars resented this. Mm. In Basil II's episode, Grim Reading then came along and did uh, their little bit where they covered the story of the Bulgar rulers. Long story short here, they ended up with a competent leader. To begin with, things do not go well. Basil suffered from some misinformation. He couldn't get a campaign started. Things are looking bad for him. I believe at this point you started saying he's rubbish. Yeah, Uh, I stand by that. Yeah. Then the dome in the Hagia Sophia fell down during a massive earthquake, so all the omens were against him. Mm, The goats lost their footing. Oh, they did. So they tumbled through, through the gap. (laughs) Landed on the floor, broke all of their legs. They were just lying there, twitching. It was awful. Yeah, terrible. Uh, Yeah, we're not looking like a season two winner here, are we? But Basil then spared no expense. He rebuilt the city. His, His popularity rose. And then that popular general, Focus, revolted once more. And this time, Basil himself put it down. Instead, he, Lord Chamberlain's not there anymore. He's going to sort it out. He hired some Vikings, Jamie. Oh. He hired Vikings, and that was cool. And this is where we start warming to him slightly. <laughs> then Sclerus, the other general, revolted, and Basil was able to put that down. But Basil isn't happy with his attempts at putting down the Bulgars. He feels like he didn't come uh, across very well when he fought the Bulgars before, and he certainly wasn't happy with his narrow victory against these revolting generals. So he decides what he needs to do is learn how to be a general. So that's what he does. He hits the books. He hits the Mm. books, and he learns generaling. And then he gets out in the field, and he learns generaling. He throws himself into military learning to a ridiculous extent, to the point where he knows the ins and outs of his army to a ridiculous degree. The point that I doubt we have seen many emperors ever. If you remember, it got to the point where he would visit 
a group of soldiers mm. and he'd be able to just point at a soldier and say, I know you should be on this kind of duty right now. Because he knew what everyone should be doing. Wow. That's not a fun manager, though. Oh, no, no. We said this at the time. <laughs> he, I think we talked about him having a clipboard and it being absolutely <laughs> yeah. awful to work for him. But, oh, he got the military to work. I mean, the military was already pretty good because of John and Akefros. He made it even better. He made sure everything was ticking along. He also, because of this, got to know a large number of soldiers personally, uh, including the generals. So uh, things things were starting to look a little bit better. He poured over logistics and strategy. Uh, he discouraged uh, the new habit of personal bravery being celebrated in the army. If you remember, in recent times up into this episode, we got lots of interesting, cool stories yeah. about uh, generals fighting one-on-one. How true that is, we're not sure, but people were telling the stories. No, Basil II had none of that. No, we're yeah. a unit, we're working together, it's not about personal glory, mm-hmm. we're here to win, not to look good. I guess it's kind of true as well, because you only hear about those stories from the winners. They're probably probably millions of them happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I've... Yeah, all you need is a hundred idiots to go brave and <laughs> yeah. charging in. Yeah. Uh, it's like 99 of them will be slaughtered, you never hear of them again. Yeah, exactly. One of them. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, he also devised a system where he'd be able to fight not just in summer, but through winter as well. <laughs> I invented the jacket. <laughs> well, uh, pretty much, uh, <laughs> but but he then like extrapolated from that idea. He realised if you were just organised enough, you would be able to have enough supplies through winter. <laughs> you just have to... You just had to be really, really organised. And he was. All he had to do was be prepared. So he heads into Bulgaria and he makes progress. But then news comes through from the east. The Fatimids were about to take Antioch. Now, Antioch was, by conventional wisdom, three months away with an army. And Antioch was probably going to fall within the month. So most leaders at this point would just go, okay, Antioch's fallen. We need to go over there and take it back again. Yeah. Not Basil II. Ooh. He left his army in the west, raced himself back to Constantinople, obviously much quicker, rose a new army in the city, and got all the donkeys he could find. <laughs> he gave every new soldier, I say new soldier, these were still trained men, yeah, they yeah. were just called up. He got every soldier two donkeys, one for the soldier, one for his baggage. Nice. And then shouted the word, Go! Go, 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 go. (laughs) They made it across Anatolia in two weeks. And so this is roughly three weeks after hearing the news, where usually it would take three months to get to Antioch. He did it in three weeks. That's quite fast. Oh, yes. This is roughly ten weeks before anyone thought it was possible. The Fatimids were completely taken off guard. These are the kind of stories we usually hear about when we're talking about Julius Caesar. This is the kind of thing that impressed us and why he scored high marks. Do you think they had like a donkey training camp as well? Like athletic donkeys? (laughs) Quite possibly. If I remember correctly, I think you pointed out in his episode that they should have got cheetahs. It would have been faster. Um, Yeah, they would have been faster. But I pointed out that fewer soldiers would have arrived. (laughs) Yeah, so he <laughs> swings and roundabouts. Uh, Basil, like John, noticed that the land in Anatolia was all controlled by the powerful on his way back home. So he changed the laws for the landlords in the area. Uh, generally, this helped the average citizen of the empire. The rich had to pay their fair share more. Yeah. Uh, the powerful lost their power almost overnight, and life changed for the better for most people in the empire. Good. At this point, I had to simplify the episode, because things get 
quite complex. So I'm going to have to simplify even more here. I'm just going to say he bounced rapidly between east and west. <laughs> His superior grasp of logistics and strategy meant that he was largely successful despite fighting f- two fronts. He was doing roughly as well as the average empire does fighting one front mm. whilst doing both at the same time, just darting between the two. He must have been knackered at the end of his life. Oh, oh, he, he was. Um, slowly, fighting mostly ends up in the West with the Bulgars being settled. And fighting in that region was tricky because it's all craggy and hard. It's always, it's been a notoriously hard area to fight in, all through our two series. Uh, he manages it? to roughly <laughs> settle it, yeah. Also, the East is settled hmm. quite well. So generally... He manages to settle everything, even though a lot's going on. Then, around this time, Basil blinds thousands of Bulgar prisoners to send to the Bulgar uh, leader, Samuel. Bags of eyes. Just to send a message. Yeah. Uh, we gave him quite a few probium crazen points for this mm. because he was just gouging the eyes out of literally thousands of people. Um, in retrospect, I don't know. Now we've. I keep going back to the fact that Justinian I killed 30,000 of mm. his own people. And uh, we didn't give him that highly, whereas I th- it's like we gave Basil II quite a lot for this. Maybe we went too high, but then gouging the eyes out of thousands of people, you're going to score points. Yeah, well, especially yeah. as only one person doing it. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, Samuel, the leader of the Bulgars, uh, then dies, and then Basil sends an assassin to kill the last Bulgar general. There was a really fun story there that we went into detail on that I'm not going to talk about now. Uh, Bulgaria finally comes into the empire after 30 years of fighting. Mm. He allowed the aristocracy to stay on on in the area, so there wasn't too much unrest. Very savvy political move. Mm. Transition was smooth. He then headed east one more time to put unrest down there, and he did so, and he gained some more land. So he's still going backwards and forwards. (laughs) He gets to the age of 67. He's approaching 70, and he's still doing well here. And he starts thinking about getting Sicily back in the empire, which is just crazy. And then he dies of old age. Mm. It was all very impressive. He deserves his high score, very much so. But I'm just going to say it right now again. I'm going to be honest. I'm still surprised he's the winner in terms of points. Mm. He is not the emperor that I go, oh, yes, deserved winner. Aurelian in season one, deserved winner in points. I don't feel so with Basil II. I, Mm. I see top three, definitely. Number one, I'm not sure. I think maybe we went too high in the program, Crasium. Justinian one, like I say killed 30,000 of his own men, and we only scored him eight in that yeah, round. true. Basil, two, blinded thousands of people. We scored him 11. Mm. I'd argue Justinian one was worse. So... Yeah. Mm. We also, perhaps, were a little bit generous with Imagofacius. He's, de- he's got a good image. He's got a decent image, but we scored him almost four marks. Mm. So maybe we were slightly biased there. And then... His Tempo Completo score is the highest of all emperors. Yeah. So that really gives him a boost on top. But what I would say, because I crunched some numbers again, even if we took his opprobrium score down to slightly below Justinian 1's and took a little bit off his image of Facius, because maybe we were too generous, he would still win. Oh, <laughs> well, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Even if, even if we were a little bit too uh, generous to him, even if we were harsher... It wouldn't have made a difference. He is the winner of season two. Yeah. He deserves Jeanne César, mm-hmm. undoubtedly. But does he deserve to go through to the next round? 
That is the question. I yes. mean, yes, just to, yes, he does. But well, yes, he does. But just to recap of his score, we gave him 18 for Fightius Maximus. Totally agree with that. Probium Crasium, the aforementioned 11, maybe a little bit generous there. Successus Ultimus, 19. Can't really argue with that. Image Ophacious, 4.5. Maybe a bit generous there. Tempo completo, 6.13. Yeah. Yeah, it just rained forever. A total score of 58.63. A phenomenal score. Yeah. Ranking him, of course, number one in season two. Interesting. Very interesting. Leo 3. Okay, Leo 3. After the 20 year anarchy, Jamie. Yeah. Someone needed to come in and sort it all out. After all, the 20-year anarchy, that bunch together only scored an average of 1.6 successes ultimus. Someone needs to sort that mess out, don't they? Yeah. And who who's going to come along to sort it out? I don't know. We need we need someone with a name that can reverberate throughout history. We do. We need we need Leo. We need Leo. Leo. Le- Leo Leo. That's who we're going for. It's Leo Leo. Oh, he's a good general, isn't he? Um, yes. Okay, so Leo started as a shepherd boy called Conan. <laughs> yes. Uh, who happened to witness Justinian II when he was marching back to the capital to take it back. So he that. was looking after a sheep when an emperor walks past with no nose and being followed by a bunch of Bulgars. <laughs> That must have been horrifying. <laughs> Taking the initiative, shepherd boy Conan realised that the army were going to take his livestock anyway, so he went to the army with his sheep and said, I have a gift for the emperor if I can see him. And amazingly, he managed to get an audience with Justinian too, and said, here, have my sheep. Do you think Justinian too sounded a bit like Darth Vader, bringing that like metal nose? Yes, definitely. Thank you, my son. Yeah. This is what happened at that point. Yeah. I'm now very sad we didn't say this when we did the episode. Let's go back and re-record all of it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Justinian II was very impressed with uh, young Conan and his 500 sheep, or however many sheep he had. Uh, he was more impressed when he found out that the boy could speak Arabic, because it just so happened his family uh, were not from the region. They'd, they'd moved relatively recently, so he could speak Arabic. Cool. Always very useful. Mm having a bilingual person nearby. Uh, so the boy was offered a place on Justinian's staff as a translator. The boy did not look back. He joined up immediately. Of course I will. Screw these sheep. All well, the sheep looked at him, oh. pining. Oh, what's going to happen to us? Conan? Conan, you said you'd never leave us, Conan. You're a bad man. <laughs> they were all slaughtered. Yeah, anyway, uh, Justinian gains his throne back, as we know, and Conan rose through the ranks sharply and was soon Justinian II's trusted advisor. Yeah. And considering Justinian II was going off the rails at this point, apparently, uh, who knows what, what Conan was doing. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, Conan was then sent east, and we get a story of him helping out the Alans fighting the uh, uh, Basque. And there was a whole story of him going into, like, Georgia area and f- doing stuff fighting, hiding in bushes. It was a fun episode, that part. We got a strange amount of detail for his journey. Uh, But also his story didn't actually make sense. I had to stitch bits together. There was lots of holes in the story. But it it was fun. It had kidnapping, sieging, burning down a fort. So it was great. Uh, Anyway, Justinian II was then killed. And Conan by this time was seen as a decent general. So he's just kind of kept along. Well, okay, he's made a name for himself now. 
In fact, his name is now Leo because he's changed his name to Leo, so he no longer sounds like a peasant boy. <laughs> so General Leo, he's doing well. He's just being a general during the 20-year anarchy. He's made governor of one of the largest themes, Central Anatolia. And then the Obsikians, Obsikia was a theme at the time, so the Obsikians were the soldiers from that area. Uh, they kidnap an accountant called Theodosius III, and they take over the capital with him. Hmm. More on Theodosius III in just a moment, because nice. he's in this round also. Uh, we then get a very confused story involving the Caliphate, because the Caliphate were invading, looking at the empire and going, oh, look, they're a mess, we can invade and they will fall, no problem. So, they were invading, and they probably would, considering the state of the empire, win. Yeah. However, it seems that Leo was able to convince them not to invade. Please. Because, well, ah, no, it was more clever than that. It was, ho, ho, hold your horses. And they all held their horses. Pick them up. Literally, yes. <laughs> really struggling. Their legs started to buckle after a while, but they <laughs> held their horses. Up, what do you want to say? Yeah, no, Leo said, I'm going to be emperor soon, obviously. They've got a weird accountant in charge. Uh, so I'm going to be emperor too. I'm going to head back. I will take over. And as soon as I do, I will become your vassal state. Ooh. We will give in to you. You won't have to do any fighting. They will let me in. We'll be your vassal. So the caliphate go, yeah, okay then. Well, like why not? Plan. We'll give that a go. <laughs> Can we put the horses down now? No. <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> when you hear from me next, and he rode off. Uh, yeah, Leo then marches to the capital, walks into the capital. Theodosius III just gives up immediately, and I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, Leo then turns to the caliphate and says, Ha ha, psych. <laughs> you still no, can't put your horses down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not giving up the emperor. Of course I'm not giving up the empire. I'm the emperor now. Uh, the caliphate, in rage, sieged the capital. Oh, it's a big siege. One of the biggest siege sieges that we've covered. Uh, they attempt to keep the siege up during winter, but it's a very harsh winter, so they're not able to do it. Still, things are looking very bleak until, all of a sudden... Doo -doo -doo, <laughs> that's no orc horn. It's the Bulgars coming riding over the hill. The Bulgars come and break the siege. It's not really clear why the Bulgars come along and save the Empire, but there's a very good chance that Leo was pulling diplomatic strings in the background. Yeah. If a caliphate destroy us, they'll be destroying you next, so come and help us. Uh, but that is speculation. We're not really sure. Anyway, he has a son around this time who pooped himself in the altar, so we called him Pooface. Yeah. Uh, but history usually calls him the Dung Named. Uh, Leo is held up as the saviour of the Empire, and the chaos of the 20-year anarchy starts to fade. And finally, we have peace in our time. But then his personal beliefs, Jamie. Oh, oh dear. Tale of two halves, because oh, his personal beliefs on religion come to the fore, and it turns out that Leo starts looking around at all these symbols and paintings and icons, oh, yeah. and starts going... Is this good? The the Jews and the Muslims don't do that. Hmm. And they're pretty serious about their religion. I, I can't help but feel we're not taking this stuff seriously. I think we we need to start not praying to paintings. Yeah, like it literally I mean, says in the Bible. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I heard tale of a painting of Mary was literally someone's godmother uh, <laughs> a few weeks ago. That doesn't seem right. So, uh, 
Yeah, maybe cut back. Or oh, here's another idea, says Leo. Maybe that's it. All icons are banned completely. All paintings and everything, everything comes down. Iconoclasm starts and oh, all of that joy begins. People start rugby tackling each other to the floor once more. <laughs> Just like the single well stuff. <laughs> Uh, all sorts of religious unrest begins. Italy declares independence because they don't want any of this. The little city of Venice becomes its own little thing and then soon would be powerful enough to take Constantinople. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just, just <laughs> as with we, boats as well. It's amazing. Yeah, as, as we will see in this round because we're covering that period as well. Mm. But this is where Venice starts and all oh, do they grow. Uh, a big earthquake then hits, and then Leo dies of dropsy. Probably not because of the earthquake, but those two things do happen. So it's a tale of two halves. He's a shepherd boy emperor. He was Conan the shepherd boy who becomes emperor, puts down the 20-year anarchy, all absolutely amazing stuff, uh, dupes the caliphate, saves the day, but then throws the empire into turmoil with his iconoclasm. Interesting, fascinating stuff. You've got to enjoy the tale. It was one of my favourite episodes. He scored 14 for Fidius Maximus, Opprobrium Crazy, and got him 6. Successus Ultimus, Tale of Two Halves, so he ended yeah. up with 12. Uh, Imago Facius 2, Tempo Completo 2.9, a total score of 36.90, ranks him 14th. Mm. What are your thoughts? Uh, interesting guy. Um, yeah, like, the first half, very successful. You cannot argue with that in any way, shape or form. Then it, mm, it's like his home policies were a, were a bit controversial that meant oh, losing only, Italy and Venice. If only he had died earlier. <laughs> if I had a penny for every time we said that. Oh, I mean, Heraclius is the big one. Uh, but if only, if only he died earlier, he would have he scored a lot higher. Yeah. The iconoclasm stuff is, is not good. It's really not. But... We're not talking success as Ultimus. We're talking interesting. Mm. We're talking Genesis R. Yeah. And actually, some of the iconoclasm stuff was some of the more interesting stuff we talked about. Yeah. It was uh, interesting stuff. So maybe that's going to work in its favour in this round. Yeah. Theodosius <laughs> Okay, we're going back in time ever so slightly here because obviously Theodosius three ruled just before Leo three. Um, he ruled from 715 to 1717, if you can call it ruling. <laughs> yeah, he, he kept the throne warm. <laughs> oh, the hilarious blip that is Theodosius III's rule. Um, yeah, I, I'm glad we gave him Jedi Caesar. I kind of figured that we would constantly combat Theodosius III and uh, laugh at how ridiculous he was. Which I don't think we actually did, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for him. Because it's it's a funny, funny story. Let's go over it, shall we? We're in the Twenty Year Anarchy, uh, and one army, uh, the 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 Absician army, were not happy, and they revolted and they killed their general. Remember, their general was uh, Papa John. Oh yeah, pizza guy. Yeah, yeah, the pizza guy. Uh, so they revolt, but they don't have a leader. We need a leader. Yeah. We can't say we don't want that guy on the throne. We want our guy on the throne, pointing to an empty space. Yeah. So, uh, on their way to siege the capital, they just pass a town. Uh, and in that town was a tax collector who happened to have the name Theodosius. And Theodosius sounds like an emperor. <laughs> I forgot this. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
they go and knock on his door and they declare him emperor. And Theodosius, hearing this, seeing the madness, literally runs into the mountains. That wasn't us making it up. He legged it. He legged it into the mountains. <laughs> I'm just going to go and, yeah, I'll fetch my, <laughs> just wait here. Gently close the door. Him and the door open in the background, pattering yeah. footprints. He is chased by the uh, soldiers, captured and convinced, shall we say, uh, that actually he does want to be the emperor. You really do. Because there is an alternative career choice here. (laughs) Your length of life is very determined on your next sentence. Yeah, uh, so he's bundled onto a boat and he's taken to the outskirts of Constantinople where he is sat in a tent whilst the soldiers around him siege the capital. We can only assume he does nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Just just be absolutely terrified. Yes. Until he's told that they've taken the city. Uh, Someone was bribed to open the gates, so they're able to just walk in and take it. Uh, The patriarch is convinced again, shall we say, to crown Theodosius. (laughs) So... Please no, don't do it. It's like a muffled mouth, like closed mouth. (laughs) You got, you got a reluctant patriarch and a reluctant emperor, both both going through this ceremony, (laughs) just looking each other in the eye. It's like I don't want to do this, (laughs) and just a circle of swords around them. Um, Yeah, so there you go. He's now emperor, and then very shortly afterwards, word comes through that the caliphate are invading. And everyone goes, oh dear, because the caliphate are together at this point mm. and the Roman Empire are not. And everyone suddenly realises, oh, we're not in a good place to fight the caliphate. And who the hell is this guy? <laughs> I am your emperor. However, Leo, 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 Leo three is coming back saying he's emperor and actually he's a bloody good general he's Mm. done a lot of good stuff and he's on his way over here so what should we do (laughs) i've got an idea (laughs) well no quite literally (laughs) what happens is they have a meeting and someone says something along the lines of perhaps we should just have leo as emperor and then we do get a direct quote from theodosius (laughs) three and i will quote it here thank (laughs) it's close to that it's i agree Uh, it's like yeah theodosius 3 is there going yes please please can i not be emperor (laughs) so he writes to leo 3 offers to be monked it's accepted he is monked he gets to live his the rest of his life which is lovely Uh, and that is the the wonderful wonderful reign of theodosius 3 two years though I think it's more like one. I think it just happened yeah. to span uh, oh, yeah. some Four some months. Te- some months. I just love it. I, I love that we've got an emperor who didn't want to be there to begin with and then was able to get out and not killed. It's just a really nice nice story. I like it. Do you think his wife didn't um, know? Um, so he, he, he just got went to, home. Yeah, he's going after four months. You'll never believe this. <laughs> Where the bloody hell have you been? <laughs> yes, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, I know that's not true because his family was in the capital because Leo uh, kidnaps Theodosius III's uh, son at one point. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, so... But, yeah. Uh, let's sum up his score. He got zero uh, for Phytius Maximus, zero for Abromium Crasium, zero for Successus Ultimus. He got 2.5 for Image Ophacius, mm. uh, amazingly, and he got 0.25 for Tempo Completo, giving him a total score of 2.75, our lowest scoring Jelle Cesar winner. 
uh, putting him ranked 78. I stand by that. I still think he should have had Sajene Caesar. Oh, I mean, yeah, oh, definitely. <laughs> he, he was great. He was absolutely great. He is the Rincewind of Empress. Yes. Yes. Okay, two more left, and uh, it's the two exiled Emperors. Theodore. Okay, 1205 to 1221. We finish off with father and son-in-law, the first two of the Lascaris dynasty. The emperors in exile. Unfortunately for neatness, how they were drawn out was in the correct order. So we get to do the first guy first this time, unlike last time, which is nice. So Theodore, born into a wealthy family with strong links to the Ducas and the Komnenos families, the two prominent families at the time. He entered the palace guard. He rose through the ranks. He was described as a fierce warrior. He impressed enough that the sunless emperor, Alexios III, wed him and a member of the Paleologos family to his two daughters, setting up the final two dynasties of the empire. Mm. See how the Ducas, the Komnenos, the Paleologos, and uh, the Lascaris names are all floating around at this yeah, time. Yeah, I can't move for them. Anyway, uh, the Paleologos brother-in-law died soon afterwards, which was great news for Theodore, because that made him the heir. Mm. So he's married into the royal family. However, then all the stuff with Alexios IV happens, where Alexios IV escapes the empire in a barrel and then sells the empire to the Venetians. Theodore, at this time, was arrested due to political stuff going on that I'm not going to go into right now, but escaped and fled to where he came from, which was Nicaea. Uh, but they wouldn't let him in, because that would seem like Nicaea supporting Alexios III in the civil war with Alexios IV and the Crusaders. So uh, things looked bad. But then the Bulgars invaded the European part of the empire, and suddenly the Latin Crusaders were very busy. Long story short, Constantinople falls, and the empire is split into four. You've got the Latin Empire, the invading crusading Venetians, in Constantinople. In the top of Anatolia, you got the Komnenos family. They became the Trebizond Empire. Mm. In the left of Greece, you got the Ducas family. That became Epirus. And in the land on the left of Anatolia, you got the exiled Alexios III and his heir Theodore, who we're covering now. Yes. Alexios III was then captured, and Theodore did not care at all. He didn't like his father-in-law, and he just wants to make a name for himself. So he's, Theodore's busy trying to survive and build up his support. It's all a huge, huge mess at this point, and I'm not going to try and sum it up. Go and listen to the episode if you want to be reminded of the details. Everything is happening at this point. Uh, the Sultanate of Rum and the Bulgars are getting involved as well. It's all a mess. Anyway, Theodore declares himself the Roman Emperor. Uh, and then we get loads of fighting. Theodore dashes here, there, and everywhere with all these different states. The Trebizons, the uh, Epirus, the Bulgars, the Sultanate of Rome, the Latins. Everything is happening all at once. He defeats Trebizond once, maybe twice. Sources are unclear. He puts down a revolt from a man named Manuel. Uh, he does that once, maybe twice. Sources are unclear. Trebizond and the Latins team up to defeat Theodore at one point. Uh, so he writes to the Bulgars, asking them to invade the Latins, which they do. All of this stuff is going on. Slowly, however, with all the chaos, over time, all the important people have fled Constantinople and started to move to Nicaea, which is where Theodore is based. And Nicaea becomes the cultural capital of the remnant states. Hmm. So people start to see this as the continuation of the Roman Empire. <coughs> Cough. Most importantly, the clergy move there. So they've got the church, but not the patriarch, because the patriarch's gone. In all the turmoil recently, patriarch's gone. Yeah. 
Uh, so Theodore feels strongly enough to appoint a new patriarch, and when he's appointed a new patriarch, the patriarch can then crown him the emperor of the empire. Yeah. Which is what happens. He then fights with the Sultanate for a while, and according to one source, he was dehorsed and was about to be killed when the Sultan was decapitated in the last second. And we got this really cool battle scene that was going yeah. on. So we got some really good fighting there. It was mm. really good. Anyway, the war there was a draw. Lots more fighting going on. But slowly and surely, more cities turned to the Nicene Empire. The Nicene Empire, arguably by this point, is the most powerful of the successor states. But then, right towards the end of Theodore's reign, Epirus gets a new leader called Theodocus, and this expands rapidly. And right at the end of Theodore's episode, it looks like the Nicaeans might be in trouble because the Nicaeans and Epirus are now the two most yeah. powerful states. Uh, and then Theodore dies. Okay. Um, it's a really hard one to sum up, so I decided not to go into detail yeah. because so much is going on. Yeah. It's like everything is split into different parts and he is dashing like a madman <laughs> here, there and everywhere. Uh, but all we need to know really is he is doing the best out of everyone. Yeah. Uh, and the Nicene Empire, there's a reason why we covered him and not and not Theodocus and the, uh, the Epirus Empire. It's because ultimately it's the Nicene Empire that does well enough to be able to continue the, the empire. Yeah. Mm. And that is a lot to do with Theodore. Uh, he scored 14 for Phytius Maximus. He only scored one for a Premium Crasium mm. because he just got on with the job. He scored 11 for Successus Ultimus, which seems quite low. I mean, yeah. he managed to but then I suppose the empire's fallen, so yeah, yeah, I don't know. Not much of empire. Uh, three for, <laughs> yeah, three for um, Image Facius, two for Tempo Completo. Score of thirty-one, putting him 29th overall. Not not particularly great. No, but interesting story. He's like again a bit similar to Basil in a way, like rid- ridding himself ragged to try and save something. Yeah, and without Theodore, the whole series would have ended. Yeah, around then. That's probably what yeah, we gave it, it to him then. Yeah, it would have ended with the fall of Constantinople at that point. Um, so, yeah, Theodore manages to turn stuff around, and he, he does really well. I stand by the Genesis there. Yeah. I think he's going to struggle to go through. But let's continue, shall we? John 3. John 3. John 3. 12.21-12.54. We get to continue straight where we left off. Coincidentally, in the draw, we've got two successive emperors. Mm. So, uh, John, born in Diddy Town. Going down to Diddy, Diddy Town. Town. Yeah. John was the son of a popular general. He rose through the ranks. He became a general himself under Theodore. He was doing so well, he was chosen to wed the emperor's daughter, just like Theodore himself was. Mm. Uh, This is when all the successor states were fighting each other. So all that mess that I just said, I'm not going to cover. All of that's going on. (laughs) All the crazy fighting's happening. And John is in the thick of it. He's fighting all over the place. Then Theodore dies, which we've just mentioned. There's a power play between Theodore's brothers and John. Theodore's brothers go, no, it should stay in the family. It should go to the son-in-law. So they defect and they go over to the Latins and Trebizons and all sorts of fighting go on there. Again, the politics is messy. Ultimately, though, John wins. Yay. Yay. John then used the fact that Theodocus in Epirus was rapidly expanding into Europe and distracting the Latins to do some expanding himself. And he greatly expands in the Asian holdings. So most of Anatolia then comes under the Nicene Empire. Nice. Yeah. Soon enough, Epros has most of Europe, and John and the Nicaeans have most of Asia. We've got Constantinople with the Latins in the middle being squeezed. 
John then puts a coup down, which was impressive, and then goes on the offensive. He goes into Europe and he takes Adrianople from Epirus. He couldn't keep it, but it was a it was a good power move. Then some good news. Theoducus has decided to focus on the Bulgars rather than fight him. And then even better news, Theoducus has just been caught unaware by the Bulgars, captured and blinded. So his main rival is now out of the picture. John writes to the Bulgars, suggesting they team up and take on the Latins and take back Constantinople. The two team up. The Bulgars even turn to the Eastern Church. There's a little bit of political back and forth and backstabbing going on, but generally things kind of happen for a while like that until the Bulgars then side with the Latins. And then Epirus start fighting again, and John sends a general to go and deal with it, and some fighting goes on there. Again, more political back and forth happenings, and then the Mongols turn up. Just as everyone's trying to, yeah, just as everyone's trying to find out who's top dog, the Mongols turn up. Now, we're we're a little bit further on than Genghis Khan here, but we're not that far on. Uh, And everyone is terrified of the Mongols. Uh, John decides to not change his plans. He's sieging cities in Europe, trying to take land off Epirus. He decides not to go back to his uh, homeland to defend it from the Mongols, because he figures, if the Mongols come through, I can't beat them anyway. (laughs) I can stay safe. (laughs) So, I could go back and be defeated by them if they come through, or I can stay here, take land off Epirus, and cross my fingers that the Mongols (laughs) don't come. Yeah. It might work. And it did work. It works perfectly. So he he manages to take the land off Epirus. The Mongols turn up enough to absolutely destroy the Sultanate of Rom, who were one of his uh, one of John's other rivals. So actually, it all worked out well for him. The gamble plays off. And because of this, he's take, able to take advantage. He takes all of Thrace and Thessalonica in the end. So by the end, he's got most of Anatolia, and he's started to take some good holdings in Europe. Things are starting to look much better. It looks like the empire's starting to come together. Yeah. But then... He dies after having a stroke. Oh. Yes, but he does. he's done much to rebuild yeah. that broken empire. Yeah, Just like Theodore had, John continues. It's uh, another good emperor just chipping away, getting the empire back. So I think our theory was, well, he'd seem to do even better than Theodore, and we gave it to Theodore, so we should probably definitely give it to John three. Makes sense. He scored Phytius Maximus, uh, 13, Probium Crasium, only two. Hmm. Successors Ultimus, 16. Much better than yeah. his predecessor there. 2.5 for Major Facio, 4 for Tempo Completo, an impressive 37.50, 12th overall. Can't argue with those numbers. No. So there we go. There are our Emperors of the Day. It's it's a very different group yeah. than we've had so It feels before. like an easier group. So I, I think I've already got my rankings. Oh, interestingly, I've not. I mean, oh. Basil II's going through. Should we just say Basil II's going yeah, through? Yeah, he's, he's number one. Let's yeah. not pretend the no. suspense. I mean, he's obviously going through. He's also going in number one. Mm. We don't even need to debate that. Okay? He is head and shoulders above everyone else in this round. Yeah. This is where it's coming tricky. The only one that I'm saying is definitely out is Theodore. Theodore is good. He deserves the Genesis are, but yeah. his uh, successor was pretty much the same as him, just slightly better. So why put Theodore through? Do you know what? In my rankings, he is automatically yeah. out as well. I mean, there's one that's also automatically out. Okay, interesting, interesting. So we're agreeing with each other. Basil II is top, yeah. Theodore's out. Yes. And then, thinking Leo three and John three. Yeah. The two of them scored very similar to each mm-hmm. other. 12th overall and 14th overall. Mm-hmm. 
John 3 scored higher. Yeah. But John 3 wasn't a shepherd boy called Conan. No. Who um, impressed Justinian 2 and then solved the 20-year anarchy and then just decided to throw a religious hand grenade into the empire. Yeah. Between those two stories, I mean, John... John Three, he's, he's doing good stuff. He's, he's bringing the stuff. empire back. Yeah. It's it is it's interesting stuff. It's good stuff. But mm. Leo Three is better, yeah. so therefore John Three is out after also, which makes me sad. Yeah, are you, you are still agreeing with me here? Uh, literally identically, yes. Right. Okay. So the two Lascaris exiled emperors are already out, yes. which is a shame. Uh, they're, they're good, but they're not cutting it. Mm. So then, then I am struggling. Yes, because Leo Three, I think, is very good deserves to go through yeah. theodosius 3 obviously doesn't deserve to go through but i love his story <laughs> and leo 3's already like he's he's already got his uh, praise uh, he came 14th overall he mm. got a good score uh, i really like theodosius <laughs> 3 story it really amuses me yeah it's like oh it's, but is it enough to go through i think is, is schadenfreude enough to let him go through having you know what his... I, I, it, it's it's great i love the fact he's here but being honest realistically theodosius 3 can't go through no. can he no he can't I, I think him i think him being here was a nod enough to yeah. the fact yeah. that he was he was good yeah he's, he's a funny story entertaining you tell people about it yeah but yeah but he can't go no, through he, can he? he wouldn't get on the chariot do you want to hear no. my rankings? Um, yes, and then I'll tell you my rankings, okay. and we'll see if we agree. Well, I mean, rankings in a way. Well, I put. Oh yeah, I, I put. Yeah. So the three that aren't going through, I put Theodosius, Theodore, and John three. Theodosius, I put last and fifth, because mm-hmm. good story, but meh. Then I makes sense. Then I put Theodore as fourth, yep. and John three as third. Leo yep. is two to go through, and then Basil one as one to go through. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I can't disagree with that apart from where to put theodosius 3 just because his story's weird uh and funny um I'd, you might want to put it higher uh but yeah I, I i'm happy with that i think the only real discussion is leo 3 and john 3 but i agree i think we've made the right call there it's a better story leo 3's isn't it yeah definitely it is and we don't need to decide between the two of them no basil 2 is so i can't help but wonder if basil 2 is going to win it and i'm still <laughs> going to have this feeling of don't know. I don't seem to get excited by him, but whenever we talk about him, I go. But I can't disagree with anything no. that we've ever said about him. He's he's really good. I think maybe because his story is a little bit boring. He was incredibly successful, maybe. but nothing stands out of that was hilarious or that draws you yeah, in. Yeah, maybe it's it's that. just constant success, which you know. It's, yeah, it's like Elon Musk was boring until he went a bit crazy. You know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, uh, it'll be interesting. The semi-finals are definitely going to be interesting. I've mm. started actually uh, putting in who's going to be against okay. each other in the semi-finals. And, ooh, oh. Anyway, that's that's for later. Right, okay, so I think we can say it then, can't we? Well done, Basil 2. You are our Group 3 winner. And Leo 3, you are our runner-up. And you two go through, I'm very sorry, Theodosius 3. Although, to be honest, he probably wouldn't have wanted to be in the semi-finals anyway. No, that's true. No. Probably doesn't want to be here, does he? No, he just he... wants to go home and have a Okay. Yeah, that's all he wants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I do feel sorry for Theodore and John Three. Both very good emperors, but uh, uh, just don't, don't quite cut it. No. Okay, well, let's uh, quickly jump to the listener poll, which uh, I have not looked at at all for quite some time. So let's see if they agree with us. 
Okay, round three. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to crunch the numbers, but I'm going to guess uh, about 95% of the votes have gone for Basil II. Oh, weird. And then, oh, it's, it's, it's almost identical, but Leo III does just pip oh. it. Just by one vote. By one vote, he beats Theodosius III, interestingly. And then there is another just one vote in it, and uh, John three, and then Theodore gets nothing. So I think the listeners are pretty much agreeing so. exactly with us there. Okay, well, there we go then. Round three is done. We are halfway through the rounds. All very interesting. So far we have had Romanos and Anastasius, Justinian one and Justinian two, and now Basil two and Leo three going through and it's all hotting up it really is it's getting very exciting actually yeah you know it, it is because i purposely don't think about who i want to win because i know it would make this thing boring uh, if i know who's gonna win so i i've still have i've not thought about who i want to win and now i'm starting to see some names coming up against each other i'm starting to think i've got no idea yeah i can't decide between some of these it might literally fall on how i'm feeling on the day which is interesting right well thank you very much for listening to round three especially if you are one of our patreon members and you're on our discord you have made all of this a lot more fun to do because you guys are joining in lots of chat if you join it up to our patreon you can join in right now and do all the voting and everything uh, yes, that's a great uh, community we've got going yeah. there. And thank you for downloading us wherever you do download us. It's, uh, we really appreciate that, so thank you very much. And if you do want to be part of the Discord server, you can join us on Patreon if you'd like to do that, and um, that helps Rob buy books. Yes, it does. And justify the fact that I don't go to work one day a week so I can do the podcast, <laughs> which is good. Um, okay, right. Well, thank you very much for listening then, and until next time, all that needs to be said... Fetch the donkeys. Goodbye. Goodbye. And this is the BBC's coverage of... The Chariot Races. And welcome to Thursday's race. I am Winston Featheringway. And I'm Cuthbert Mambatton, and here we are on quite a quite a rough day. I believe it is. It is it is quite quite the challenge, I believe. The weather is awful. It has been throwing it down for quite some time. There's thunder in the air if I can feel it. It's quite different from last race. The wet conditions are really going to make a difference to this week's chariot race. I believe so. And I and what has made our job slightly more challenging is we have been moved from our usual commentary box to the other side of the stadium. It's, it's, Winston, I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit put out. Our, our box was flooded due to the rain and we've been put on the other side of the stadium. Now, usually I wouldn't mind, obviously we are professionals, yes. but uh, between you and me, the, the gay person, our four and a half million listeners, uh, we've been put next to the Americans, Winston. Yes, it has been quite the challenge. All I can say to our listeners is I apologise if you hear anyone from the colonies throughout, because they will be quite loud if recent events are anything to go by. Anyway, let us commence with the pre-race showdown. Yes, now here we are. Oh, what a selection we have this week, Winston. Um, there is Basil Two. Basil Two, two chariots, eight horses. It's an unusual mood. It is, but he is a man that is used to winning. 
Yes, yes he is. Uh, he's got one foot on one chariot, another foot on the other. Four horses at the front, two at the back, and two either side. This is a man who is determined to win. And I dare say he should be very successful. And next to him is Leo Three. Yes, Leo Three. Uh, he is on a fine horse. Uh, Beautiful just, steed. Just him. On a horse, no chariot at all, uh, but behind him, what's, what's, what's this behind him, Winston? I'm struggling to see. Can you get to the angle? It's this, uh, this, this bally box. It's not as good as the last no. one. Well, if my eyes aren't deceiving me, they appear to be a, a collection of 250 sheep. Yeah, it's sheep. Can you see the sheep? Do you apologize? I believe that was our American colleagues. Um, yes, no, if you're... I, I, I've gone right off my game there, Winston. What are we talking about? Ah, yes, the sheep. Yes, sheep. Yes, the uh, Conan, Conan Leo Three has at least twenty sheep behind him. I'm not entirely sure how this is going to help him. Well, he needs his friends, but also behind the sheep is, um, uh, oh, a very unusual sight. There seems to be a man being strapped to a donkey by armed guards. Yeah, so I, I'm struggling to hear over our American colleagues. But I do believe that's. Uh, Yes, no, he is definitely shouting, please, please let me go, I don't want to race. Yes, uh, for the love of God, I have had enough of this, please release my son. Yes, he seems quite yes, distressed. Well, that must be Theodosius III, uh, the reluctant racer, as they call him, and now I understand why. Yes. They've strapped him bodily to the side of the donkey, not even on top. He's just strapped to the side. Yes, with what appears to be uh, duct tape. One arm strapped to the leg of the donkey, which is going to be very uncomfortable when it moves, I can only imagine. No wonder he is quite distressed. It will look like he's waving the entire time, so I guess it's not all bad. Uh, yes, I suppose so. And, oh, here we go. Here's Theodore and John III, two matching chariots, side by side, hard to put a piece of paper between them. They don't both look quite splendid there. But very excited to be back in Constantinople, I hear. I believe they are. However, I can pick up a little bit of tension in the air. Yes, no, it's the whole son-in-law, father-in-law. Yes. Always a little bit tense, um, but let's hope they spur each other on. Oh, man, he's that is a lovely pun there, Cuthbert. Well, well, I was working on it. I do apologise to our audience, of course, if that pun was ruined by our American colleagues' enthusiasm. He's like a of barbecue. So here they are, they're all lined up now, and I can only imagine, it's only a matter of time before the chap with the bow and arrow fires the flag to release the And start. we can see he's getting ready. He's dipped his arrow into the oil. He's aflame, and there are... And they're going, and they're going, and they're up straight away, and battle two straight away in front with his eight horse-drawn two carriages. It's no wonder he's in the lead straight away. He's making miles of progress, and he appears to be taking a bag out of his back pocket and dropping what appears to be marbles on the floor. Oh, oh, no? Winston, it's not marbles, Winston. It's... Oh, good God. Oh, oh, oh that's so squishy. That's so squishy. Squishy, round, and... Oh! Down goes Leo 2 and Theodosius 3, they're on the floor, and, and, no, and Theodore and John 2 also swerve into each other to avoid it. They're all tangled up straight into the wall. It's a that is a hell of a part there, and oh, Basil's won. Basil has won. Well, there we go. Uh, he managed to do all 50 laps incredibly quickly. Uh, the, the rest of the contenders are picking themselves up. When I say picking themselves up, Leo 3 has been nudged onto his horse gently, almost almost with caress by his sheep there. Slightly. It's lovely to see. And he's riding off again. He's off, he's going. Theodore and John Three are off as well. Theodosius Three is still on the ground. It appears Theodosius Three's duct tape has come loose. Oh, he's making a run for it, and he's being grabbed by the guards. 
He's been dragged back and restrapped to that donkey. This time, two arms, two legs on the donkey. This is going to be painful to watch. Looks like a Pilates. And Fidoche's three is off. Oh, he's been twisted in many ways. Uh, it, Yes, he's definitely shouting quite a few words that I can only hope the listeners cannot hear. Probably won't be able to hear over our colleagues. I do apologize to our. So we now have Battle 2. Battle 2, beyond being in the front, he is now in the stadium, lifting up the trophy. You can hear the crowd going wild, and uh, Leo 3, Theodore, and Jump 3 are taking the first hairpin. And they do a wonderful job. Uh, Theo 3's sheep seems to be following around a bit like a clown. It is quite a beautiful sight. But Theodore is behind him. Yes, uh, Leo 3's sheep are getting very damp in this downpour and it's getting very, really coming down now. And oh, 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 the thunder. Oh, oh that was a roar of thunder was. right there. And yes, it's only a matter of time before this lightning comes over the hippodrome, which uh, will liven things up. That's all I can say. Definitely. Would you excuse me? I just need to turn my mirrors around. So here we go, uh, down the straight. It's still neck and neck between Leo 3, Theodore and John 3. It's very hard to put anything between them. Theodosius 3 now is taking the first hairpin, or I should say he has reached where the hairpin is. He's not actually taken it. The donkey has stopped and has started to nibble on some cut. That is quite the sight. It's a very noble donkey. I believe it is one of the donkeys used by Basil 2 and his army. Very well trained. Very well trained. Uh, so well trained, you can only assume Basil 2 has train this donkey to lose, which is doing very well. And as Leo 3 is taking, has just finally taken the hairpin, we can see, oh, one of the supporters is holding a giant cross, saying, I heart Leo. And Leo grabs the cross, stabs it in half, and stabs the man in the neck. That's iconicism for you. <laughs> yes, though, though, in fact, a whole bunch of Leo supporters are, they're holding their hands up as if they've got signs of support, but they're not actually holding anything. Loyal supporters there. I believe there's a man with just a plain sheet of paper. Yes, which, uh, oh, he's getting disapproving looks from the rest of the Leo 3 crowd. Apparently that's going too far. But Leo 3 is not paying any attention. In fact, him and his crowd of sheep are pulling ahead of Theodore and John 3. Uh, those two... Locked yes, into and oh, oh, he just punched, John 3 just punched Theodore around the ear. Oh, that's going to hurt in the morning. That is going to hurt, and uh, that's definitely an argument, quite possibly a family affair. We certainly don't have details on it. Oh, oh, oh Theodore tumbles, Theodore tumbles, he's off, and he, yes, yes, he is oh. out. He's not getting out of this one. No, you can tell because, because Theodosius 3's donkey has just come off and urinated on him. Oh, I believe a little bit of urine went into his mouth. Even if he were to win, he would always be known as the, the winner who was urinated upon by a donkey. So, no, that's Theodore out. So, really, this is a two-horse race between Leo 3 and John 3. Le John 3 is catching up, but I'm not sure he can catch him. And, oh, that was a strike of lightning there. It's oh, it's hit very nearby. It's, it's hit the heart of Sophia. We can see it from our position just here. And, oh, it... It would appear the dome's fallen in. Oh my goodness. The dome has fallen in. Uh, the crowd will have to deal with that afterwards, I suppose. But right now, everyone's eyes are on the races. No one cares about the hypersphere. Uh, but a moment 
A moment for the goats, please, if you're listening. They do an outstanding job and they do not get enough credit. Many of these goats have been here for 50 plus years. Quite. The goats have done a good job. Now, uh, back to the race. The racers, professionals, Leo 3 and John 3 do, do not care a jot about the thunderstorm going on, and they are racing quite steadily through the storm. They are. John 3 is definitely catching up. It's, it's almost neck and neck now. See, Leo, uh, oh, he's passed what looks like a note to one of the sheep. The sheep appears to be reading it, which is something I've never quite seen before. Oh, they're coordinating. They're now a pyramid! It, it, it is a pyramid! Look at inverted pyramid of sheep! Sheepy pyramids! Have you ever seen the world? Oh, they're collapsing all over us! John 3! Oh, they've fallen upon him like sheep falling upon a chariot racer! That was a marvellous simile, well done! Thank you, thank you, Winston. I've been working on it. But it's made no difference! John 3 is just... Hacking them off. He's here, he's there, he's everywhere. It's like... He's John 3. It's like racing through clouds. Yes, it makes no difference to him. He is used to attacking on all fronts, and those sheep are just being parried off left and right. They're falling behind. Leo 3 has been relying on these sheep to give him a buffer, but they've gone now. It is literally neck and neck. Leo 3, John 3, nothing between them. We're on the last lap here, and they come around the last hairpin. Nothing separating them at all. John 3 is trying his hardest. He's hitting his horse. His horse is going faster and faster. Oh! oh. That is the light, the lightning has struck. Oh, it's hard to describe. Good you guy, were yeah, that killed him. He's broken it. John 3 in the face. John 3 is nothing but a He's pile of smoldering ashes. And Leo 3 goes over the line, and he doesn't quite understand what's happened. I, I can understand why. He was right next to that lightning bolt. Oh, he is looking very shocked. Um, I don't suck him. He now, he now realizes he's won. The stadium is coming down slightly. Leo 3 is now celebrating. The sheep are picking themselves up. Oh, it's glorious scenes of, of joy and celebration if you were just to ignore the smoldering remains of a man who once lived. And as our faces and eyes turn toward Theodosius 3, he's managed to gnaw his way through the duct tape. And, and he's off! He's off! And there he he's goes, gone through the three. He is ahead of 14 guards chasing him, all Opsikians, and they're going through uh, round the hairpin and out of the stadium. Who knows if they will catch him and drag him back, but we won't be there for that, because the race is over. Well, that was quite a splendid race. That was an exciting race. Yes. Uh, Basil, Basil II wins uh, comfortably, you could say. Uh, Leo III just pips it at the just end. Just pips it. Um, uh, again, I can only deeply apologize for the quality of our commentary this week, thanks to our American colleagues. They are just so loud. So loud. Uh, but don't worry, fear not, listeners. We'll be back in our own booth next week, I am sure. This has been the BBC for the Round 3 Chariot Race. Good evening. Good evening. Yeah.